Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Bandit Show presented by the Hoops Audit. I'm your host, McCoy Lum. And on today's episode, we are very, very fortunate to welcome a former Can Canada men's national team member, a very successful overseas pro, as well as Bandit's assistant coach, Levon Kendall. Levon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, how's everything going? Like with your, I know you run a, uh, a landscaping business as well as your coaching as well. So how's everything going with that? Yeah, things are good, man. Businesses, uh, businesses are growing and, uh, yeah, it's been a, been a fun adventure. Just kind of learning, learning the ropes, being an entrepreneur and, um, things are good. Clients are happy. Picked up a second truck this year and got a bit of a crew going. So things are good there. And then, uh, you know, able to carve out time and do a bit of coaching as well, which is always great. Yeah, no, it's unreal. No, it's great to hear that you're, uh, I guess doing things outside of basketball and having success in that and sort of in, in the, I guess the field of business as well. So that's really awesome to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just like I said, off camera here, like the purpose of the show, we just want to pick your brain about the game because a guy that's played and coached at your level, you have a lot of experiences and insights that a normal person typically wouldn't have. So I'm really excited to get into this. Good. Cool. So let's just start with the most recent bandit season. So we're a few months removed now from the season, and obviously it was a bit of a crazy season um, in terms of not only the wins and losses, but also the amount of roster movement. So you being a guy that's not only played for the Bandits, but also coaches with them now, um, what was it like as an assistant navigating sort of the ups and downs of the season? You know what, I would say that um, the first bunch of years with the CEBL is probably the biggest challenge just in general. And I think that's for the most part across the board with teams is just navigating, you know, rosters, who's coming and going, when are guys showing up, when are guys leaving potentially, you know, for summer league or they got, you know, their teams overseas that are calling on them. So um, that's certainly the challenge uh, that I've noticed, like, you know, through management and then also just sort of coaching and playing, um, you know, and it seems like the teams that do well, they have a pretty good core group of guys that are there at least for two out of the three months and are able to just kind of navigate that, that situation. And, you know, it's tough with different personalities and, you know, and at the college level or even pro you're with the team for at least nine or 10 months, uh, you get a pretty long preseason, um, so, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the challenges. I think the, you know, the management staff uh, at every team is kind of trying to navigate that as best they can and find players that are going to fit. And then also kind of understand when somebody's leaves or how are they filling in gaps and, you know, with a limited talent pool as well, too. It's not like they got, you know, an unlimited roster guys to pull from. Uh, so just understanding what that's going to look like in a short amount of time is, is certainly tricky. And I guess as guys are coming and going, um, <laughs> from from an X's and O's standpoint, from a, a game plan standpoint, is it stressful, like from week to week, not knowing who's going to be there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's a little bit reflective in the style of play in the CBL. You know, it's a pretty free league. I mean, some teams are are more structured than others, but just the nature of, of it being a summer league that's short, uh, you know, a lot of teams have some simple sets and then are otherwise just 
letting the guys do their thing and create and and ideally you have some chemistry because even if you're playing free players have to understand understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and you know how to play off each other so I mean I thought we started to do that you could see kind of the last handful of games where uh you know we weren't very great at the beginning and then it was like okay guys started to understand each other understand their game and then you know the last that that semifinal was a tough tough loss but ultimately we had strung together a you know a run of victories and that was a lot of that was just guys kind of understanding who who played it in what style and how to put guys in good positions and stuff like that and I mean the X's and O's is a is a as a part of that but you know, generally the coaches try to keep it pretty simple for, for that reason, for sure. Yeah. Um, no, that's some great insight on, yeah, sort of the, the, the nature of the CEBL. And, um, yeah, so I wanted to, I guess, take it back now to sort of your high school playing career and your early days as a basketball player. Um, and so during my research on you, so you, you're a Kitsilano grad. I'm also a Kitsilano grad. So we have that in common. Um, and, Something that really stood out to me, like listening to things you've said in the past um, that have been pretty consistent with you is that even though you've had like, even from elementary school, you've had this like natural size and talent, but you give a lot of credit to your high school coach, uh, Dykstra, as well as even you met, I've heard you mention your elementary school coach um, for being very pivotal, pivotal in your development. So as a guy that, you know, from a young age, I guess was had a lot of these natural physical tools um, how did, like, I guess, where did this attitude of being willing to be coached come from? That's a good question. I, th I think, uh, that probably stems from, you know, there's, there's going to be some genetic element to that, I feel like. And then also just a lot of nurture. I mean, I grew up in a, uh, pretty supportive, pretty humble family. Um, you know, I certainly... Uh, you know, my parents didn't have really a sports background at all, and they were they were supportive and encouraging, um, but also kept me grounded sort of throughout. And, you know, it's hard to say when you're that young, like what inspires you to work hard and just put, you know, put the nose to the grindstone or whatever. But, you know, certainly that was that was how I was raised. We helped out around the house. We helped out in the yard. Uh, you know, there's now that I have kids, I, I'm kind of seeing the value in those kinds of things that just instill like whether it's teamwork or that collective effort kind of a thing. Um, you know, I think that that has a certain effect on kids at a young age. Like, you know, I remember I laugh. I remember getting a laundry basket for like my 10th birthday. And my mom was like, all right, here you go. Start doing your own laundry. <laughs> and I may seem like a small thing, but having coached kids now that are at a younger age, <clears throat> a lot of stuff is just added to them you know they don't they don't have an expectation of needing to contribute and needing to work for a lot of things so uh i've certainly noticed uh, you know uh, whether that's going to change a kid's attitude completely is pretty hard to say but i think all those things kind of compound over time where you you have that sense of responsibility and sense of work ethic and you know i know if my elementary school teacher she was it was like one of those movies you know she was the blonde haired high heels you know hard nose she had us running suicides and doing push-ups at eight o'clock in the morning before elementary school and we just ate it up we loved it it was like 
um you know nowadays maybe you would say okay that's pushing the kids too hard but i think as like young boisterous 10 year olds we just thrived on it we we needed somebody to like kick our ass and tell us what to do and like make us work hard and and then we were successful so it was a there was an easy correlation between like okay we're working really hard and we're having success and we're winning which is always more fun than not and you know we had a good group of players but I think a you know a grade five six seven talent is a very marginal or your skill level is a very small piece of that puzzle like we were just in there busting our ass and working super hard and even though we had a lot of you know quote-unquote problem kids and I grew up in East Van and kind of immigrants and kids that got into a decent amount of trouble uh we thrived on that we just loved it and so I I certainly give her some credit for and my parents for that just carrying through um you know throughout high school and and my friends honestly for keeping me keeping me grounded and you know anytime I would go away and come back a little bit big headed or whatever I'd get chopped down pretty fast (laughs) (laughs) that was great I was like that's what you needed (laughs) yeah no that's that's sick like I just imagine like these elementary school kids like running up and down and doing (laughs) doing push-ups and all this stuff at eight and that's that's unreal um yeah yeah Yeah, and nowadays you would think it was crazy but we just loved it like honestly 50 push-ups and sit-ups and all the the whole deal right and but we were good so it was uh we saw the saw the value pretty easily yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, and so when you were at Kits now, um, you know, like Dykstra obviously played at SFU and had, had a pretty, had had a, I guess an overseas career as well. So can you just talk about you being, I guess, relatively raw coming in as a high school player, like some of the things like from more technical side that, that he was showing you that maybe had you gone to another school, a coach who didn't maybe didn't have as much experience wouldn't have been able to show you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was uh, one of those twists of fate and just, you know, chance encounters that really steered my career in a certain direction because he's at, we're actually really similar build. Like he's six nine. you know, I'm probably a bit heavier than he is now, but same kind of lean, tall. He had a really nice jump shot. Um, he understood the European game and also just, you know, kind of where – where things were headed in a certain sense, as far as the like stretch four and being a, you know, being a skilled big man. And so he really saw that, you know, he put in a lot of extra time with me just on form shooting and like being balanced, fundamental, like, you know, stretching my range, Um, you know, just understanding how to play the game, uh, not only with my back to the basket, but also, you know, as, as a kind of stretch four, um and then even as as far as the team went uh you know we did we did stuff that was just really really fundamental and really repetitive which also really shaped just how I played and how I trained and we would do this thing called the daily dozen it was like the same 12 moves from the wing on either side and that was just our warm-up every day no matter what so pretty sure we started that in the ninth grade and then all the way to grade 12 and we would go through the whole team we would do the same 12 moves and they were all really simple you know it was like sweep score layup you know jab step go left one dribble pull up you know jab step go left to the basket catch and shoot like you know just really fundamental simple uh like wing attacks that you could do anywhere on the court and you know even as a as the tallest guy or the, the, the forwards would do it, the center would do it, the point guard, we'd all do the same kind of series of moves. And, um, 
you know, looking back, it was interesting to see because we would have we had a handful of guys that were like any team that are sort of our role players. Then in the ninth grade, pretty unskilled. Uh, you know, they're willing and and keen, but by you know grade 12 they could execute those really really well and they kind of figured out what their role was in the team and they had a you know their two go-to moves that they would be able to create and make the right pass or take the right shot and and get open and you know I think a big part of that was just we had that repetition literally every practice every game we would do the same series of moves as a warm-up um and then we get into you know doing other stuff and and drills so um, that kind of thing, you know, I mean, aside from working after practice with him and, and really, I would say the shooting was, was probably the main thing, like just really working on my, on my balance and being ready to shoot and being low, having a high release, all those kinds of details that, um, you know, as a six foot eight or six foot nine, like 10th grader, somebody wouldn't necessarily be teaching you, but he understood like, Hey, if you want to play at the next level, this is more or less what your position is going to look like. And especially overseas, uh, if you're playing in Europe, you know, all the fours and fives can shoot and pass and play off the wing and create and stuff like that. So he, he made sure that I, I was putting in the time and just kind of showing me understanding that aspect of the game. So yeah, that was, that was super huge. That's, that's really cool. And it's a, that story about Dijkstra, like the daily dozen and all those things that he was showing you guys that, that, that those skills can really apply to any player on the court and it allows you to play any role on the court. So that's yeah. really cool. And also just this, you know, talking to coach Kyle Julius as well, just like him teaching you guys that routine and that consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, that's really cool to hear because it's very consistent with what I hear from other great coaches and good players, just having that consistent work all the time and just getting very good at a few things. So that's, yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, just building those habits. I mean, I tell kids often, like I made a, a good living playing basketball and I had, I don't know, four or five moves. Like I had, a, you know, in my mid range and I could shoot, I would jab step, go left. And I had kind of a counter and that was about it. You know, a couple of different moves in the post, but it was like, I, I would rarely dribble more than a couple of times and just had a few things that I could attack and get to. And I mean, even in high school, I remember some of the coaches after were like, what the hell, man? We told them you go left, you go left every time because I'm actually like a shoot right, but I'm left-handed. So I'm okay. ambidextrous and a bit backwards, especially for a big guy. And, but I only, I think I've maybe drove right like 10 times in my whole career, uh, but I was really good at going left. So it didn't matter. And like the coaches said, man, I told the guys before the game, he's going left every time. And somehow you'd still get left. And I said, well, I was good at it. I could get to my left hand. So until I until I started getting stopped occasionally, then I had a counter where I could spin and get back to my right hand or whatever. But if you're good at if you're really good at one or two moves, that that's often all you need, especially in the high school level, right? Like things don't need to be complicated. Um, so nice, yeah. No, that's that's super funny. Um, yeah. So now I guess moving on to your post secondary career. Um, so you commit to play Division One at University of Pittsburgh, which is in the Big East, so a big-time conference, a big-time school. Um, and you actually spent the first season as a redshirt freshman, if that's if I'm correct? Yeah. So going from, you know, big man on campus at Kitts, being the best player in BC, to now having to essentially start at zero as a redshirt in college, what's that, as, a, as a, I guess as a young player, what's that transition like being a superstar now to a redshirt and not really getting playing time at all? Yeah, um, 
it was tricky. You know, I, I think again, uh, like a lot of credit to, to my upbringing and just where I was from. And I didn't really have a lot of expectation. Um, I think that's, that's partially, you know, due to my coaches as well. And just, I think the, the times this is kind of pre, you know, pre Instagram, pre social media, there wasn't quite the same hype. It was sort of like, Oh man, you're going to the States. That's awesome. That was kind of like the extent of it. It wasn't anybody telling me, you know, you're the man, you should be playing X amount of minutes. I was like, I was going, going down there like a deer in the headlights. And I really had, I had no expectation personally of like, I got to show up and I'm going to play despite being one of the, you know, best bigs in Canada or whatever you want to say. Like, I don't, I don't remember going down there being like, okay, it's on. Like I should be getting starting or whatever. Like I, I was just like, I don't know where the hell I'm going. I don't know what this is going to look like. Uh, And then pretty quickly after a few weeks of training and practicing when the coach was like, Hey, I think you should redshirt. I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. Like I'm getting tossed (laughs) around Uh, (laughs) because it wasn't necessarily a skill thing. He was just like physically, you know, I was like six, nine, 200 pounds. I think our smallest forward was like 240 and our biggest forward center was like 285. Uh, and the big East was a super physical league. So it wasn't like, Oh, Hey, this is finesse. We're running gun. It was like, no, you're getting pounded and slammed. And it was just like hit the weight room, Kendall, like, you know, and so I was just flying around like a rag doll <laughs> Uh, so when the coach said, you know, you should probably redshirt us, I was just like, yeah, that's, that seems like a logical move here. I clearly need to, you know, hit the weights and just like, if anything, learn how to play against guys that size and utilize different skills, which is, you know, a big part of what ended up happening. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, and again, I think looking back a lot of that had to do with just the build up to it and you know sure I was getting accolades and recognition and stuff here but I didn't go down there with any expectation uh, which I think is is probably different in a lot of cases where players get built up and they think they're real hot hot shots especially here in Canada like I, I noticed that where kids are like man I'm the best of my school and I think you know I think I'm the man and it's like mm, <laughs> sorry buddy you got a rude awakening coming <laughs> just the just the fact of the matter right uh so that that certainly affected my i think mental approach going down there yeah no that's that's really cool to hear and very a very refreshing respect uh, perspective as well and so by the time you got to your third and fourth years where now you're getting a lot of minutes you have a consistent (laughs) role um and what so what's it like playing in a major conference like the big east where you know, you look around and, you know, one night you're playing Villanova and that team was sick too with, I think it was like with Kyle Lowry, Alan Ray, and then Georgetown with Jeff Greenroy Hibbert, and then even Rudy Gay at UConn, right? So that's, that's, you know, like you look around NBA talent everywhere and you guys had, uh, I believe you had Aaron Gray too, right? Raptors, Raptors legend, Aaron Gray. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what was it was like now that, yeah. Oh, roommate sick. So yeah. now you're playing in the big East high power conference. So what's it like on a, on a game to game basis going up against these super talented players it was pretty wild you know it was it was a lot like the movies is what i tell people i mean we had uh you know just the just the recognition and in in pittsburgh it's obviously a big sports town but they don't have a basketball team other than university of pittsburgh so we were the 
the team for basketball. Then there's, you know, of course the Steelers and the Penguins and the Pirates and, you know, the other major league sports, but we were it for basketball. So, you know, I think it was my, my third year. So my sophomore year after redshirting when we played on the road and, and had a big comeback victory against uh, UConn, Denim Brown was there. And I had, it was kind of when I first got started getting some minutes and before people would kind of assume that I was on the team because I was big and tall and, you know, they'd see me wearing the gear and stuff like that, but, you know, basically flying to the radar. And then I had a big highlight block in that game. We ended up coming back and winning. And so I was in the top 10 on ESPN and it was like, as soon as we landed back in campus, it was just like, Kendall, Kendall, you know, you're signing autographs and binders and, um, so that was really like the first, you know, launch off from there. And then it's just, it's total madness. I mean, we were there, there's, there's kids are like sleeping out before the games the night before to get tickets. Cause they would let the first, I think 1500 or 2000 kids sit right next in the student section, right along the court. So if you weren't there, you know, the day before a big game, you were sitting way up in the nosebleed. So there'd be a couple thousand kids like sleeping in our stadium the day before and we'd have practice and we'd come out and everyone would be oh, you know like jaren and yelling and um you know dick vital and the full like game day crew and those guys are all around and and then on the road i mean you're playing you're like you know one of the we were one of the top teams so every game is a big game and solo crowds and ruthless heckling and the whole uh the whole deal so it was pretty it was pretty surreal in a lot of ways. Just all of a sudden you're, you know, police escorts to the games and the bus and they're stopping traffic and running red lights and nice hotels and, you know, flying. I think now they actually just fly private all the time. We flew private sort of some of the time, like for the bigger games or if we had to, if it was late, we had to get back or whatever. But, you know, all that, that whole world was pretty, pretty wild, pretty far cry from, uh, basketball in vancouver that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i guess something that's always in like that interested me about your game specifically it's like you were like you said uh you know brought up by dykstra to have like this very face-up modern big game where you can hit jump shots put it on the deck but at pit you were from like you know doing my research on you you were more so a like intangibles like a more of a low stats guy but really anchored the defense and brought you know, the, that intangible aspect to your team. So can you talk about once again, like this idea of like sacrificing, you know, maybe some of your individual game for a role or for the success of the team? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, was certainly one of my qualities, but also, you know, could easily attest that to one of my de detriments as well as like not having a slightly more successful career than I had was just being unselfish. And, um, you know, even from my junior to senior year, I remember when I worked out for some NBA teams and they were kind of like, Oh, you know, we, we saw you last year, we were expecting your numbers to go up this year and they kind of stayed the same. And, you know, what, what can you, can you explain that? And it was like, I don't know, actually, like, I think, again, it's just partly my personality and my upbringing of just being, a uh, pretty chill, pretty unselfish guy. And, you know, I, there was moments in my career where, you know, I would, I would put up more shots and, and be more of a go-to, you know, particularly offensive player and a little less, less phased by that kind of stuff. But, um, 
yeah, generally I just kind of tried to default to doing the right thing. And, and for sure, sometimes doing the right thing would have been shooting more. <laughs> um, but that, that was a bit of a confidence thing for myself as well. And again, hard, hard to say exactly where that, you know, lack of confidence or self-doubt sometimes would come from. I think probably spending, spending three years on the bench in Pittsburgh didn't help. And part of that was just mental training for myself too. Like, I think, you know, in hindsight, I would have, should have got on some sports psychology stuff much earlier and that's you know as you get into the higher levels you realize there's thousands of guys that are talented but it's the, the guys that are really mentally strong that make that leap and are the the really elite players so that you know i think is something i would have could have spent more time on i think would have made a difference as far as just being a little bit more you know, selfish is maybe not the right word, but because as I said, I mean, that was also one of my assets is that, uh, you know, I, I remember one of my coach at Pitt saying like, I don't know what it is that Levon does, but when he's on the floor, we're, we're better as a team. And it's like, sometimes it was statistically, sometimes it wasn't. And so, you know, that, that also, I took pride in that as well and enjoyed kind of being a bit of a jack of all trades and being able to do whatever it was that was needed. So, um, you know, I think that maybe negatively affected my earning potential, shall we say, uh, in the long run. But, you know, that's that's kind of the way uh, the way it shook out. Right. And well, yeah, I'm just think, taking that all in, like and thinking about like the, the confidence stuff, too, and how, you know, like you, it, it was both good and bad. Right. And at the end of the day, like, I guess for a lot of players now it's like, do you value winning or do you value your own individual? Cause you could have easily gone to, I guess, probably a smaller school um, and been the man. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I guess like my question to that is like, would you have been personally, like, I guess now that you're older and reflecting on it, would you have probably been more satisfied maybe like averaging 20 at a mid major versus, you know, having all that success as a team that you had at pit? You know what? I think, I think in hindsight what would have been better for me was just playing in a conference that was more suited to my body and style, like more so than the winning. And, you know, of course it was amazing at Pitt. Like we got to play at Madison square garden and play in the big East tournament and like went to the sweet 16 for the five years that I was there and all that was great. Um, but it took me a long time, like essentially three years to really, get any playing time really have that proper development um and a big part of that was because the league was just super physical guys were big uh you know i mean my senior year <clears throat> i was guarding roy Hibbert, who's like seven two and huge and you know it was like that i think i probably would have made a different decision and like played somewhere on the west coast that was a little bit more up and down and and I think that also, you know, maybe we wouldn't have gone so far into the tournament, but uh, I think I probably would have traded a successful, like, say, mid-major career and, a, you know, look at the NBA, for example, versus, like, being successful in the Big East and then playing overseas. Like, I mean, all not that I have regrets, like, all that was totally amazing, but I think I would have had a different trajectory had I been somewhere where like maybe not my first year, but I got to play for four years or three and a half years instead of two, um, you know, I think that would have made 
made a difference because you can, you know, winning, you can win at different levels. It's, you know, there's only so many teams that are being super successful in the tournament, but you can still win your conference and all those kinds of things too. Right. So. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah no, that, no, that's, that's what I would say is the biggest sort of takeaway from what I, what I, my college career was just not really knowing or understanding like what the leagues were like in the conferences and, um, just picking something that fit my body type and and sort of style of play better would have would have been something I, I would have changed, I think. Yeah, no, that's no, that's a really cool reflection and very honest. No, I appreciate you uh, giving that to us. So now we're going to move on to a bit of your professional career as well as your time with Canada basketball. So after playing at Pittsburgh, you move on to have a very successful overseas career playing in countries like Greece, Spain, and Germany, and focusing on your time in spain because you played in the acb which for those who don't know is one of the top leagues in the world outside of the nba and during your time there you sort of statistically had some of your best years of your career and i wanted to ask you about sort of the differences in the european game versus the north american game and why a guy with your type of skill set was able to have more individual success there yeah. So, I mean, I think actually the, uh, I mean, even when I, when I first started in Greece, um, Greece was similar to the big East in a lot of ways, like very physical, a lot of big bruiser, you know, forward centers, uh, not a lot of tight calling from the refs, uh, type of thing. And, you know, I, I did fine there. I put, played well and we, we had some successful teams, but, uh, definitely, you know, in speaking with my agent and the goal was always to get to Spain, uh, particularly because of the caliber of play, but also just the style. It was a little bit more, you know, a little bit more open, um, you know, more skill based, a little less physical. Um, so, yeah, certainly like the there was a bigger contrast from Spain, uh, particularly because Germany as well. I would say that because of the uh, import rules in Germany, there's a lot more Americans there and they play, uh, you know, still not quite the same as say D1 or the American style, but there's a lot more Americans that play there. So the game is, is a little bit more, uh, you know, that North American, a little more physical, a little more macho uh, kind of one-on-one uh, type of style. Whereas, Spain was just like, you know, what, what you see a lot of the really good Europeans team do European teams doing is picking, picking people apart, lots of ball movement, lots of rotations, uh, you know, skilled four fives, um, you know, so that, that definitely played well to my strengths and, and was one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I did, I did a bit better there. I mean, part of that too was, was just the environment, the, the team that I was on, like particularly in Santiago uh, with Obradoiro was the name of the team. And, you know, I certainly was more of the, the go-to reference point for that team. So uh, just had more scoring and, and I was getting better and better. You know, that was, I was kind of 29, 30. So I'd had a handful of years pro under, under my belt and, uh was just refining my game learning how to move a little bit better had some more confidence um you know i was in the same team for a couple years and the coach coaching staff trusted me so all those things kind of lined up for for having the you know the the best years of my pro career anyways 
Yeah. And be, like you kind of touched on like these, especially in Spain, like how quickly they move the ball and how like sort of the team synergy that, that goes in hand with their style of play. So yeah. what's the, what's the practice schedule like to get to that level of, I guess, <clears throat> being so in sync like that? Um, you know what? I, I think a lot of that, uh, what I noticed and also just the other American or sort of non-European players, what we would often talk about is uh, it's just way more pervasive. Like, you know, and I didn't spend a ton of time like in youth programs and stuff in Europe or just like watching what they're teaching, but you could just tell that basically every player has an understanding of like the cross court pass or the weak side kick or like hitting the corner three in a pick and roll instead of just like, I'm going to the hoop to score or worst case, I'm going to drop it to the big, which is kind of more typical, like say North American, like I'm running a pick and roll and I'm getting to the basket or I'm doing like a drop pass to the big. Whereas overseas, it's like, that's rarely the outcome. I mean, maybe you're hitting the big, but usually that whoever's coming off that pick and roll, for example, is like looking for the other three or four players that are open, depending on the help. And what we notice is like even the, you know, say the 12th man on your team, basically everywhere you play, players understand those principles and that concept of just like, here's the spacing, here's the ball movement, uh, like there's that sort of third option pass that's actually the right one a lot of the time um and i think you know a lot of that comes from their training as kids like they're not necessarily doing what you see on instagram where it's like hey we're gonna do nine crossovers and a step back and then shoot a three it's like actually we're coming off the screen we're like kicking it kick 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 and shoot that's like a more common drill and, and again i'm like speculating a little bit but you can just tell by the way the guys play they're not training the same way as like kids in north america so a lot of that i think comes from the youth programs and just how they how they teach the game and how they understand the game and see those you know those types of passes and pick and roll is kind of the easiest easiest example because you know, no matter what level you play, you play the pick and roll. And even in Europe, you know, whenever guys are like grumbling about the sets or X and O's, and it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like Madrid, Barcelona, like Cheska, the best teams in EuroLeague are just running pick and roll. And they're just better at running pick and roll than the last place team in Spain or whatever. You know, they got, yes, their personnel is slightly better or their personnel is better, but they're just making better decisions and they're picking apart and roll because it's really hard to guard uh if you do it well and you have a point guard that can like shoot pass find the weak guy penetrate and kick all those kinds of things right so that's definitely like something that i noticed as soon as you got over there and, and playing with like american guys um you know not to not to put them out there or anything but i played with jerry mcnamara uh my first uh, maybe my second year in greece and he was like you know phenom speaking of guys that played it you know in the big east syracuse had, right yeah syracuse yeah. massively successful like they won with carmelo anthony he was like this little white boy had the green light could hit threes picking you know he was just like playing out of his mind had this unbelievable uh division one career and then went overseas and it was like things changed pretty fast he didn't have the same green light he and like i don't even 
it was mostly just preseason where I played with him for about a month and, you know, great guy. He worked hard, but he just didn't, he didn't have the same confidence and his default was to like attack the pick and roll and try to get to the basket. And the coach was like, what are you doing? Like there's three guys open and you're trying to score on the center, which he was doing in college. And okay. I was some confidence and certain players like, yeah, you could get away with that. But if he missed one or two, he was getting reamed out and it was just because he wasn't, used to making that right decision so you get a guy who's far less skilled far less you know of a resume as far as like you know college basketball but he just been trained to like okay i come off pick and roll big guy helps like drop pass is not there it's like weak side kick weak side kick they'd happily trade an open three for a contested you know shot at the basket on a guy who's a foot taller than you which is you know smart basketball right but he just, you know, that wasn't how he played growing up. That wasn't, that's not like the American or North American style of play. Um, and it's starting, I mean, it's starting to get a little bit better, I think, in a lot of ways. Like that's, they're starting to recognize like, okay, actually there's some smarter decisions to be made here. And it's less about like mono mono and attacking each other. So um, yeah, that, that was really what stood out. And again, that's like the point guard, that's the two, that's the three, that's the four, that's the five. And of course there's exceptions to that, but generally speaking, people just understand that extra pass, the right decision, making smarter cuts, you know, things like that, that um, we're lagging behind a bit on. Yeah. North America for sure. Yeah, no, that's one of the the coolest insights on the, yeah, the European game I've ever heard. No, I really appreciate that. That's, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just ask you now about sort of your time with Canada basketball. So <clears throat> you've played over 120 games representing the country. And in 2007, you played against the USA Redeem team that featured Kobe, LeBron, Mello. So I got to ask, so what was that game like? What was it like being on, on the court with these people that for me, these guys are like not even human, right? They're just, they're, they're like these, yeah. these, these gods, right? So what was it like sharing the court with that, the USA Redeem team? You know what, that was, I mean, obviously a highlight of my career and looking back, you get, you know, that's like almost instant credibility when you get to bring up like, oh, who's the best guy you played against? We're like, well, I don't know, take, take your pick, you know? <laughs> um, so that, that of course was, was a really great experience and you know the cool thing about playing against those guys and in because we played them also in 2008 uh, so we had that kind of arranged a you know two summer exhibition series kind of a thing and uh you know of course before the game you're you're seeing the guys and they're warming up and you're watching you're looking over and it's like oh yeah there's Dwight Howard and Lamari Stoudemire and Carmelo and whatever the list goes on and then once you start playing the game, you're just playing basketball, right? It's like, you're just out there hooping, you're, you get in the zone, you're competing. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily feel like so over my head, uh, you know, physically, that's that's certainly the part that really stood out. It was just like how explosive and quick those guys were. And, and but actually, you know, it was fine. Like you're just playing basketball, you're out there competing, doing your thing and, um, I like to tell this story because it that was very like I think indicative of the game was just like as I said, you're you're in there playing whoever the other guy is, you're just competing, you're playing one on one or you're you're attacking each other and and that's just what it is. And uh things got a little bit chippy at one point 
and uh, I think there was a hard foul or something on one of our guys. And so we're kind of pushing and shoving under the hoop and whistle blows. And I like push somebody without really looking. And I was like, yo man, chill the F out, you know, like relax. And then I look over and it was Kobe. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I was like, I just pushed Kobe. <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm cool. We're cool, man. We're cool. You know, he's kind of like, whatever. It's just one of those like in-game things, you know, guys are kind of jostling and getting a bit fired up. And I, you know, cleared him out and wasn't really looking. I was looking somewhere else. And then that was like, just kind of snapped me out of that compete mode. It was just like, oh man, I just pushed Kobe. <laughs> Which is cool, you know, it's like looking back and that's, yeah, it's like a cool, cool memory to to have with, you know, somebody like that or whatever, you know, it's just, again, it's just playing. But the fact that it was Kobe Bryant and, you know, seeing those guys and competing against them, that was super, super cool. Yeah, no, no, that's amazing. And, you know, with Canada recently qualifying for the World Cup um, and you being a guy that sort of helped lead the foundation for that. So what are your thoughts on how far Canada basketball has come in the last few years with all these NBA guys now committing? Yeah, it's been really great, uh, great to watch. I mean, I'm part of me is certainly envious of like, oh, man, they get, they get to go to the Olympics. That was the one thing that, you know, I didn't didn't get to achieve with the national team. We went to the world championships the one year and we just, you know, never, never could get over the hump for the Olympics. So I'm definitely, uh, you know, envious in a good way that those, those guys have, uh, you know, taken that step and gotten the commitment and, you know, Kelly Olenek, he was, he was kind of the young, young buck when I was there and um, certainly watching the world cup this summer, I was, I was laughing my, my last year with the national team was 2016 and Shay uh, was a 16 year old and he traveled with us that year. It was his first time coming out to the national team and he was 16 and he was totally holding his own. And it was like, Oh man, this, this guy's going to be really good. He was, he's, it was really similar. I mean, he wasn't scoring and nearly as, as prolific, but as a 16 year old, he was like totally under control, making the right decision. Uh, just calm, smooth, like at 16 playing against grown men and pros. And, uh, you know, I had my, uh, I guess it would have been my 32nd birthday that summer and he had been alive as long as I had been driving. <laughs> so I remember laughing that summer with him. I was like, you're having your 16th birthday. I said, man, I've been, I've been driving for that long. <laughs> so it's great. I mean, I'm, you know, super, uh, you know, proud to see them making their mark. And I think that's, it's been building, right. You know, seeing, seeing the, just the talent that we have in the NBA now and the representation um, is really a testament to where the game's headed in Canada and just the time that people have put in. And, you know, a lot of that's the youth programs and the development and kids getting inspired to, to be out there and representing their country. So it's, yeah, it's great to see them, committing to that as well despite having their you know all the money they need and you know busy nba careers to to take another six weeks or a month out of their out of their schedule to go and represent canada is is great and uh yeah it's fun to see i, I mean a lot of the the medical staff and the physios and all this all the same guys so i'm texting them and you know joking them with them as well too because they've been putting in the putting in the time for 15 or 20 years or more some of them so it's great for for those guys as well like kind of behind the scenes people that you wouldn't think about as well they get to share in that experience too which is also great yeah no it's it's been awesome seeing it especially and, it, and i think i hope like the the got then me players and like you know and even guys like phil scrub that have consistently 
um, yeah, I guess the both the Scrub brothers that have consistently shown up for Team Canada. I think as a Canadian basketball fan, I hope I hope they they understand like how much it means to to us to see them every year, and even a guy like yeah, like Pangos and all these guys, right? So it's it's been great to see, and yeah, us qualifying for the Olympics. It's been sort of this culmination of all, everything that's sort of built up over the last few years. So it's been amazing. Yeah, you know what the the thing that really stood out to me um, that was aside from the winning and qualifying piece for me that was so great to watch was actually just the way in which they won which was like playing as a team I mean of course we had arguably one of the best players in the tournament uh, so that was a huge difference maker but you know different guys stepping up on different nights they were all bought in defensively um, you know it was a bit more like watching a college team or something which which is great and that that I think that's certainly what I was, you know, most proud of watching was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like they're, they're totally buying in. Everyone's committed. Um, you know, they're playing as a team, all those things that you'd like to see, uh, you know, for me anyways, as far as good basketball with, of course, those moments of heroics from Shay and, you know, different guys, Kelly and stuff, stepping up and making, making big plays and big shots, but ultimately that came from like a really solid group effort. And like, you know, Phil, who of course I played with too, is like, you know, he didn't play a ton, but he would come in and he'd do his thing and give him good minutes. And and all that was, that was really, uh, yeah, really great to watch for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So just a couple more questions about your coaching career and then we'll get you out of here. So, so you being, I've always wondered because, you know, they say like, the point guard is like the extension is the coach on the floor. Like there's your floor general, but you coaching and you being a, a big, are there, what sort of perspectives that you think that you bring that a guard coaching wouldn't typically see or appreciate? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think what I, what I found like coaching with the bandits the last couple of years um, where I can add value is just seeing like, small little adjustments uh like for the big guys in particular like just as far as like whether it's positioning or a read on a certain situation um you know and and i think also like that you know is translated directly to the to the bigs that are on the floor um but also just in terms of a like perspective i would say for the coaches and you know most coaches aren't like didn't play as as bigs or weren't big so you know having a slightly different read on say a guy's habits or you know where they may be effective um you know and i haven't spoken specifically with you know the other coaches that i that help with but it feels like for me that's that's something that maybe i'm picking up on certain things that are a slightly different view as you said that's not like guard centric but like oh hey maybe if we put him in this situation or it seems like to me that this big is you know having a hard time with this aspect of it and so you know ways that we could adjust that so that they're more effective or or things that you know maybe the maybe the coaches picked up but maybe they haven't just from uh you know being a being a big guy and understanding like just the different nuances of the game and that position which some coaches kind of know conceptually, but as far as like the application goes, it's, there's, there's little details there that that's what I feel like the most, you know, value add for me is, is in those kinds of situations. 
Yeah, and I guess given the style that you guys played this year with both Georgie and Nick, um, yeah, no, having you there from the experiences that you've had, no, definitely a value add for both of those guys. And um, yeah, so you've done a lot of work around the province with especially kids that play the big position. So with the the way the game's gone towards being more space and perimeter oriented, um, what are some essentials that you're teaching kids now that play the big position that they need that to, to, to thrive in today's game? Yeah, I would say um, it's certainly shifted. Like there's not nearly as much back to the basket, you know, traditional post-up hook shots kind of things like that. I mean, that, that still happens. So I think where we've shifted, uh, you know, aside from the obvious things like teaching better footwork on the perimeter and being able to shoot and at least, you know, shoot a mid range, if not a three pointer. Uh, I mean, I think those are the kind of more obvious adjustments. Um, but I think what, what we've talked about and, and kind of started approaching more of is, is like still, still being an effective finisher, like still rebounding properly, knowing your position on the court. Um, you know, there's that stuff hasn't, really change. I mean, you're still going to be the tallest or one of the taller players on the floor. You're still going to get touches close to the basket where you're going to have to finish off penetration and, you know, learning how to use your body to create space and finish and stuff like that. And that's, uh, you know, that, that position, I don't think has disappeared quite as much as the, you know, say Shaquille O'Neal or like the traditional back to the basket guy. Like, I mean, there's still being able to set a good screen and dive to the hoop and finish in traffic or you know make those plays that still exists and i don't think that's really going to go anywhere like you still need somebody that's that's getting front rim uh you know i mean even if you're a pick and pop four or something like that there's there's always going to be room for that you know either athletic or in, if you're not athletic uh being able to finish like those kinds of things close to the hoop so uh, definitely shifted to a bit more of that kind of stuff. So right and left hand, and again, like just actions, quick rips, quick, uh, you know, gathers and stuff like that close to the hoop where you're, whether it's off a rebound or off a penetration where you're needing to finish, um, you know, that's, that's something we put a little bit more emphasis on. Um, and then also just passing out of the post too. I mean, I think that even with the game shifting, that is still really a, an effective spot to play out of is like the inside outside and that the same as like swinging the ball from side to side, you get defensive shift, you get more openings. Right. So if you, even if you're not traditionally like going to just bang and post up and get to that shot, having the ball go into a post player and then having action out of that and creating out of that is going to cause problems. It's hard to guard. And I mean, even my last couple of years playing with the bandits, that was, usually where I was effective or I was getting a couple assists a game just from cutting and it's, it's hard to guard, right? It's tough when there's the ball goes inside and comes outside and just gets movement shifting. So I don't think that's going to, going to disappear. Uh, so again, just having players like comfortable taking their time, checking the floor, looking for that open man again, like making those reads um, is, is uh, yeah, something that we're like, you know, still, still paying attention to and still, you know, focusing on with the younger, younger, big, big players. Yeah. And I, that's really good to hear. Cause I, I think that's, those are, I assume things that you've uh, 
had to focus on over your time in Europe, especially. So that's really great that you're uh, giving that back to the kids now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so that that's I think that's a good way to wrap up here of our main questions. And before we go, I just want to hit you with a couple of rapid fire questions, just some lighter questions, and we'll get you out of here. Yeah. So the first question is, so you've spent a lot of time overseas. Um, and I'm a big food guy. So one question is, what's your favorite food or something that you loved eating that you've only gotten while you were overseas? Ooh, um, probably the the market in Spain. I used okay. to, in Santiago, I would go to a little market and that was the fresh seafood and veggies. Amazing. Yeah, I guess very, very uh, on brand with the the West Coast lifestyle, I guess. Totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but cheaper. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So now you being a guy that's represented a lot of a lot of games with Team Canada, who's your favorite Canadian hooper of all time? Oh, well, I got to go with Steve Nash still. He's still, yeah, still the most inspiring. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, was, I was talking to Kyle about this, but uh, I, I don't think a lot of kids today understand like how good he was like that, like especially yeah, kids that because I coach kids in elementary school and they don't even realize that this guy was a two-time MVP, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Barely on their radar, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They just know him as the, uh, the failed NBA coach, I guess, but yeah. Right, right. And then, yeah. So in the last one, so I just want to give you an opportunity just to, uh, I know you run your edible landscaping business, uh, foodscape enterprises. So can you just give the, the listeners just a little spiel about your business there and some of the things that you're doing? Yeah, sure. So um, business is called Foodscape. We help people create landscapes that are conducive to life, food producing, habitat producing, functional. Uh, so not your sort of traditional like farm style landscape, but we're just incorporating edibles uh, and instead of ornamental stuff, a lot of pollinator friendly plants. Um, we also do like patios and kind of the full service install uh, some maintenance stuff. I don't cut people's grass, but otherwise we, uh, we kind of cover, cover all the needs and, um, yeah, just trying to create more productive landscapes as opposed to things that just look beautiful. So that's, that's kind of our jam. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So everyone give Levon a follow and his business to follow at Foodscape Enterprises. And Levon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was amazing talking to you, getting some insight on, on the game and good luck with, I guess, your business and I guess have, have a good rest of your life here before I <laughs> see you next yeah, well, time, I guess. We'll see you again, man. My pleasure. Yeah, cheers. cool. Yeah. Cheers.